Sarah, I started a Substack last spring, just kind of as an experiment, and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mom Hour listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com, and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N francis.substack.com. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Sarah. We're two moms with eight kids between us from preschool to teen. This is the show where we help you feel better about the mom you are and share our own parenting tips and personal stories. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. And welcome to episode 88 of the Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis here, as always, with Sarah Powers. And today we're going to talk about what surprised us about postpartum. Yeah. A lot a surprised. Lo- a lot. <laughs> a lot. Stuff they didn't tell me in the books or the articles, or even my mom and sister and other moms yeah. didn't always mention certain things. Or even if they did, I almost feel like as pregnant moms, especially first time pregnant moms, we almost tune it out. You're, you're thinking like, yeah. about that. Yeah. And you, you're so excited for the baby. Right. You're you like, know, hey, I'm going to have a baby then. So what do I care? Right. Yeah. The pregnancy symptoms, I felt like I was really read up. I read up on them and I paid attention to the weekly emails about what was going on. And I just must have tuned out whatever I was given about postpartum symptoms. And there's yeah. some common ones that can really take you by surprise. So we're going get to into, get into all of that. Um, and we should say that we will be discussing many bodily functions in this episode. So while it's, al- it's always family friendly, but the content is, uh, what should we say, graphic? Not graphic. I mean, not graphic. You know. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's just, just it's bodies. Very, it's bodies. <laughs> Bo- bodies doing the things that they do. So Right. Keep You've that been in mind. Warned. You've been you warned. Have... <laughs> um, but first, let's um, let our listeners know what just happened, which is you were in my house yesterday, Megan. I was in your house yesterday, and I got home at 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So tell yeah. everybody why you came out here. And for okay. those who don't know, really, who, who are maybe new listeners, we live normally, we live 2,000 miles apart. So yeah. this is special. So um, I, w- I was asked to speak at um, Altitude Summit, Alt Summit. in this year, it was in... Um, Palm Springs, which is a couple of hours from Sarah. And I was making plans to go and it just kind of occurred to me like, oh, Sarah's right there. And then I thought, well, what if I combined this um, conference with a little mini summit with Sarah? And then at some point I decided to bring Clara. I don't really remember how that happened. But the girls, um, Allegra, your oldest, Mm -hmm. and Clara, my daughter, have been clamoring to get together and haven't seen each other. Like they only saw each other once before and it was a year and a half ago. Yeah, it's so cute how they think they know each other right but really I mean they've really only hung out once and they know about how we are friends and yeah. they know what we do on the podcast so they just jump right in like as if they're long time yeah and they've been pen pals yes they so have they've written, written letters. some letters back and forth so so we came up on Wednesday and then Clara hung with you on Wednesday night while I went to the conference and then Thursday you and Clara come came and hung at the conference and then we all went back to Orange County and spent a few days got to meet Katie who is working with us on behind yes. the scenes now um, and got to sit around and talk and hang out. And I don't know what all, what all did we do? It was, it feels was, like it was yeah. very condensed, you know, it was. And part of it is because when we work together on the podcast, we're, it's obviously remote. And so everything we do is pretty focused. Like we're either right. on Skype or we're on, 
you know, chatting or texting and it's always on one topic. Whereas this was like, you know, I just, there was that one moment where I was doing dishes at the sink and you were having a cup of tea and our kids were playing and we were just talking about business. Yeah. And so it was a very different pace and, um, kind of like relational. It was just different than it how we normally work together. It, it was, was really, really fun, fun though. I want to do it again. Let's do the quarterly. Yeah. Let's do it again. Quarterly yeah. get quarterly. together. Let's do it. I know. I, I owe you a visit. Maybe when your Michigan weather is a little nicer. This <laughs> yeah. is California's nice yeah. this time of year. Um, well, but and, then our plane got diverted coming back into Chicago. Uh, and we ended up in Milwaukee for like an hour and a half. And it was just silly. But by the time I got home, I mean, I feel like I've been hit by a truck. But it's all right. Here yeah. I am. Here we are. Um, I did want to mention that if you um, follow us on Instagram, you saw a lot of little scenes from our get together. Yes. So if you're on Instagram and haven't checked us out, the show uh, account is the mom hour. Um, and then Megan and I both Instagram, you know, personally. So she is at Megan Francis, M-E-A-G-A-N Francis. And I am at powers of mine. Um, and so, yeah, it was fun to share pictures throughout the last few days and loved seeing everyone's comments. And our, some of our listeners were really excited excited to see us hanging out together because they know yeah. that only happens a couple times a year. So yes, nice. come find us on Instagram if you haven't already. It's a fun place to be. So Before we um, kick it off, I also want to mention that I have um, an interview, bonus interview coming up this Friday with um, Aaron Lochner, who is an old time blogger that I've known for a long time. Um, at, she runs Design for Mankind and has a book out called Chasing Slow. And so we talk about the book and kind of her journey from trying to be very minimalist and um, slow, slow, slow to like somehow that sometimes how that can become also its own mm. competitive sport in a way. Right. And oh, uh, I love that. A, yeah, it was a very frank conversation and she's a lot of fun. Um, and I'm and it's a great book. So I'm really excited to have her on. So that should be this Friday bonus episode nine with Aaron Lochner. Oh, I can't wait to listen to that. That is going to be great. And um, for those who don't know these bonus interviews, they show up right in your podcast feed with everything else. It's just a different format, either Megan or I does an interview. And so try and do one of those a month. I can't wait to listen to that one. That's going to be good. Okay. Should we do postpartum stuff? Let's dive in. Well, let's give our, let's give let's, our super. Let's have official. a pregnant pause first. Oh <laughs> yeah. You went there. Um, let's give our disclaimer that we are not doctors. No. Everyone knows that, right? And we are no kind of health professional or even professional expert. No. Although I feel like you have more knowledge about um, birth and postpartum than the average person, not only because you've given birth five times, but you you worked a lot with doulas and midwives and even yep. considered going into that. Right. So I yes. do feel like I do feel like you're more qualified than maybe a average mom on dude on the street. Yes. <laughs> but not sure. a doctor. And to be to be serious, um, if you have any questions about postpartum health care, you have to talk to your doctor. I think that we're going to come back to that again and again is part of the issue is thinking, not knowing what these symptoms are and wondering if they're normal. So if that's you, no matter what it is, talk to the person that you trust in the healthcare field. So that's our disclaimer. Yes. <laughs> all right. Um, so how are we going to kick this off? Well, Do I just dive right into the symptoms, all the blood and guts. Let's go. Let's go full <laughs> blood and guts. OK, so one of one of the places that we kind of looked for inspiration here was a post I wrote a long time ago, which was my four things that surprised me. So maybe I'll start with a couple of those. Um, and I know you have some that you wrote down that um, surprised you. So some of these, um, as we listen, maybe you knew all about this. But um, if they came as a surprise to one of us, then they may sneak up on somebody else, too. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and give my 
uh, maybe rarest one first. And this is one I've heard other women say they had, but it was nowhere in any pamphlets or um, things that I was reading. And that is um, when I was postpartum, I would say in the first six weeks, probably postpartum, I got the chills at night. Now this is related to night sweats and it's all in the same family, but I think night sweats are much more common. So if you're not familiar, you wake up like literally drenched Drenched. in sweat in the middle of the night. And I, I do think it's hormones, right, Megan, that kind of triggered these. Um, but I went to my doctor. Mm -hmm, Yeah, really, really sweaty. Like, like (laughs) literally like, yeah, drenched in sweat. But I asked my doctor, I was like, I'm, I've had the night sweats and I had had that a few times and I had even read that was normal, but I would also get chills similar to a fever, like the kind of chills where the temperature of my house and the pajamas I was wearing, nothing, nothing was uh, off to make me feel that cold. Right. And I would shiver in bed, just like you do if you have um, like fever chills. And one time I even, I remember texting Brian who was downstairs with the baby. If you listened last week, you knew our strategy yep. about, he was watching the baby. And I said, you have to come up here and get into the bed just for the body heat. And I was shivering and I talked to my doctor and I had no fever. So I'd no there wasn't mastitis or anything else going on where I, I might've had a fever. I had no fever. And my doc, what my doctor told me, my OB is she said, you know, it's it's not, it's never been really researched or reported officially, she said, but you're not the only one. And since I wrote about that, I, people Google night chills, um, and stumble upon this post that I wrote that we'll link to people in our Facebook comments that we posted this on Facebook yesterday. Um, totally, it is totally a thing, but it must be just rare enough that it doesn't, it doesn't get top billing. So, yeah. Um, Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the forever chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's from our O-U-R place.com code mom hour. Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready to eat meals from our sponsor, Factor. Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite factor meals, and Katie loved the herb-crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one too. And get this, so did her little boy, Charlie. She heated it up for lunch one day, and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? 
I was going to say, what a parenting win. (laughs) And I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. Listeners, head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour5050 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Well, I mean, any like any kind of temperature control, it just totally yes. makes sense that it would go along hand in hand really with with, you know, fluctuating wildly in one direction or the other. It totally does. So hot flashes on the one extreme and mine were, mine were the chills. And I would say with Violet, who was born in January, and again, I lived in Arizona, so it's not like we had sub-zero winters, but it was the cooler months. I would say I ran cold all the time. So even during the day, I just, my body, it just had more layers on. I would sleep in like a bathrobe and my pajamas, but that's not quite the same as like the the shivery chills where you're like shaking uncontrollably. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have heard other people say it. I think it is related to the, just like you said, the, the extremes and sort of like the inability of your body to regulate that temperature with all those hormones. But that one surprised me for sure. Well, uh, along the same lines of something that was, you know, I kind of knew was going to happen in some way, but was totally different than what I expected was, um, for me was bleeding. It was nothing like, you know, all the pamphlets and that you get from the doctor's office and the books and everything articles would say, usually you'd have bright red bleeding for like a few days then it would taper off and slowly become like pink. And, you know, eventually by like, I want to say the second week, most most resources I read said by the second week, it should just be like yellow or white and not okay. ble- bleeding at all. I bled straight through like six weeks. And I mean, wow. heavy with all five babies. Um, that is just another variation on normal. I think if you're, you know, if it what I was told is that if it tapers off, and then comes back crazy. Mm-hmm. Or if you have like huge clots out of nowhere, stuff like that, then right. that might be a problem. But I even had big clots. And that was just part of what I had. That was like my normal. Um, another thing I had with two of the babies was that it seemed to go away and then came back at like eight weeks. And I thought I was having a period, which really confused okay. me because I was breastfeeding a lot and I'd never had yeah. a period that early. And then um, one of my midwives said something about that when the um, placenta is attached to the uterine wall. When it comes away, there's like a scab there. And so some, oh. when the scab is still there, you know, you the bleeding will often taper and then it right. comes loose. Really? So I oh, have not read that in any resource. I have no idea where that piece of information came from, but it, it so matched my experience that I um, have always believed that that was what happened with me with two babies at least. But yeah. so for me, again, it's like bleeding is touchy because it's kind of scary, especially yeah. when if you're just kind of prone to having heavy periods anyway, you might be more prone to having a lot of postpartum bleeding. Um, if you had a bigger baby or a longer birth or a, you know, even a faster birth. Um, there's just different factors, but I think for me, it's just how I'm built. And so I, um, I, for me, it was like, I just kind of had to be ready. I wore those like big Depensy things for like a good solid week, just because I didn't want to have to deal with changing a pad every hour. And then after that, I just basically had have big, you know, big maxi pads for like five weeks. So that's really just how it was. Good to know. I had C-sections, um, and C-section bleeding is a lot lighter. It does exist, but um, they they literally kind of clean you out on the operating table. So there is not as much to, you know, to, to bleed out. So yeah, it's be, much, yeah. it's, it's kind of like you described, you know, it's like an average period for a few days and then lighter and lighter. And of all the other C-section recovery stuff, it, it to me was like, 
low on the list of inconveniences. It just wasn't, wasn't any more than, you know, an average or heavy period. So yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, okay. Well, I'm going to talk about hair loss, yeah. which is a common one. Um, and, but I think there's also some misconceptions about hair loss or some differing opinions. So I think my hair loss was pretty typical and it always would start about two months postpartum, which is yeah. interesting. So my hair didn't start falling out right away, but I do think that's I can't remember. I think that's pretty typical. Yeah, this, the, um, the pregnancy hormones are still in your body, and it's like still right. hanging on at that point. Yeah, and it's, and when we're like, in case someone's not familiar, didn't have a typical experience, we are talking a lot like of clumps hair. of hair. Whether it's whether you have long hair, or short hair, I almost don't think it really matters. Like sometimes you think, well, maybe I'll cut my hair because it won't be. It's just it doesn't matter. It's just the length. Hair. It's not the length. It's so much in the shower. I just remember, I remember picking it out of my cleavage because it was always, yeah. then I get in the baby's mouth and get wrapped around the babies. It was like, there was hair everywhere. everywhere. And mine would last solid from about two months to six months postpartum the whole time. So it wasn't like a couple weeks or something. It was for, for three or four months solid and it would finally taper off. Now I have a, I would say I have a pretty good head of hair. I don't have super thin hair. So I never noticed it like visually, but I, but I know it can be really common to lose a lot around your face or different yeah. parts, you know, even have like a kind of a thinning or a balding patch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course the regrowth. So like, this is like the postpartum symptom that keeps on giving because <laughs> hair to regrow hair, it falls out and then it grows back in and growing back in it's, it's starting from scratch, especially it seems on certain parts of the head. So mine was always the base of my neck. So if I put my hair up like in a high ponytail or a high bun for maybe like a year, there would be like a little like layer of hair at the back of my neck that was only a few inches long because it had started growing. And I know other people have the same thing around their forehead line. I didn't notice it there, but yeah, I've I've seen that. it then, almost looks like breakage. It almost looks like they had yes. like a bunch of hair break in, but it's just because it's like growing in <laughs> again it's, it's from starting from over. Scratch. And of course, uh, yeah. my third, I'm pretty, I was, pr- I was pretty gray, pretty young. So I had my third baby at 32, almost 33, but um, I was already, you know, had a lot of gray hair by then. So of course then it all comes in gray because it's like new growth. And, and it comes in like fuzzy. It's just, it's just awful. It's not painful. It's not dangerous. It's not like the most, it's just a super annoying postpartum symptom. And I didn't, maybe I just didn't know how long it would affect my life. The weird thing for me is, so I have very thick, I have a lot of hair, just, just a ton of hair and the texture also changed during pregnancy. And what happens is that your follicles stop dying off. So Basically, your hair just holds on. Instead of losing hair naturally the way you usually would throughout your pregnancy, you just stop. And then your hair gets ridiculously thick. And so I'd always have this ridiculously, ridiculously thick hair by the time I had the baby. And I would just lose hair like crazy for months. But nothing ever, it it was never noticeable. That was what I always found really bizarre about it. Like it never, I never noticed it going anywhere. I was like, where is this hair like Coming you didn't notice from. that it felt thinner. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's I like really it was just either, endless. I, but I did notice the regrowth. Yeah. It was just, I think mine must have not been in a pattern. It must have just yeah, been all over the all place. Over. So yeah, it was just like clogged up shower drains and hairbrushes all I had to clean out, you know, every other day and yep. all that stuff. I would stuff be curious if, if our listeners had any, um, cause I'm sure I, I never had any like products or techniques or hairstyles or haircuts. I do remember like wearing a braid or doing certain things with my hair where I felt like at least wasn't falling out all throughout the day and like being on my shirt and um, certain things. But I would love I'd love to hear from listeners, too, if they have any like little tips or hacks, because it goes on for a long time. Yeah. So um, so here's right. another one that kind of deals with hormonal fluctuations, which doesn't everything. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it all comes. It all comes down to the hormones. 
Um, for me, you know, I, I really kind of became a slug at the end of my pregnancy. And part of it was like, I couldn't focus on anything but having this baby. Like, right. that's all I could think about. I couldn't think about work. I couldn't think about cleaning the house. Like I would nest, but it was, I was so focused on having the baby and I would feel just really tired and just checked out. Then I would have the baby and have this crazy little rush of energy. Okay. Um, sleep deprivation did not really touch me, but the first one it did cause it was a surprise. Like I wasn't used right. to the idea that I was going to have to be up every few hours, What? but like, I know what, what's happening. Um, <laughs> but with the other ones, like I really managed to power through for like the first two or three months and then crashed. Mm. And, uh, we were just talking about this the other day, how babies, you know, their sleep schedules sometimes change, not for the better around three, four, five months as well. Yeah. And sometimes there's a little bit of a regression. Yep. Or it also, it could be that we're just kind of over it. Yep. And yep. we're also, we're just like, it's catching up with us. So yep. I remember having a very distinct, like energy crash at like three to four months yep. every time. Um, and I just, you know, you, 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 you figure out how to ride it out, I guess. We, and we, you should listen to our episode about sleep deprivation. Cause right. that's kind of what my reality was. Um, yeah. but it wasn't just a sleep thing. I just was suddenly tired. And uh-huh. so, and, and it would, you know, just take good care of myself and eat really well and make sure yeah. I was getting enough sleep and as much as I could, you know, at night and it would come back. But I remember that very distinctly with all, with all of the babies. Yeah. I think that's really wise to point out. And I, I also think that we have this, um, delusion that postpartum recovery is whatever, whatever, Six like weeks. our insurance covers like two <laughs> weeks, six yeah. weeks. Um, and so it's really important to know, to remember that like, um, even whether you're breastfeeding or not breastfeeding, it doesn't really matter. The hormonal fluctuate, I mean, it does matter. That's not true. There are, there are some differences, but hormones and the readjustment is we're talking months, not weeks. So I I think of postpartum as a year. I mean, it really, it takes that long for things to kind of get back to whatever, whatever new normal they're going to be, um, and get kind of on a, I don't know, on a new track. So yes. And the, and like the more you kind of get the hang of motherhood and you're in a routine, it's almost easy to forget that that's still happening to your body. So I think, um, you know, like re- reminding yourself that you're still adjusting for yeah. that whole year, um, even after you've gone back to work or this and that. So yeah, agreed. Um, okay. So I'm going to talk about the baby blues a little bit. Um, you and I did an episode, I wrote it down. I think it was 30, nope, uh, 42. If people want to go back and listen to me talk more about this, but um, I had been warned about postpartum depression. I feel like I was pretty aware of it and knew the signs to look for, but I had not done any reading on the hormonal blues or the baby blues, which is different as I understand it. Um, baby blues usually set in right away and lift after about two or three weeks. Typical postpartum depression, I think, actually takes a little longer to set in and then, you know, lasts Doesn't, longer. Yeah. 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 Um, but I didn't, I, um, had never like had any issues with depression. Um, even my mood swings and, um, with periods and pregnancy were not very extreme. So I just did not think I was a candidate for this type of like hormonal mood stuff. And with my first baby, it was extreme and it was extreme and it was short. So I didn't last long enough. In fact, I probably would have mentioned it to my doctor. I hadn't even had, I probably had a two week visit. And then by the time I really realized what was happening, it was even better by the time I went back again. Um, but what it felt like was I was like, I remember feeling like I was logically happy. My baby was healthy. Even breastfeeding was going fine. There was nothing, nothing quote unquote wrong. And I felt like this cloud and I, I would cry a lot, cry easily. But I just remember it feeling so separately than um, like feeling sad because I, I feel mm-hmm. like I, I'm not sad, but I feel sad. It was a very, very strange 
feeling. And it did. It set in like on day three, like the day we came home from the hospital and it lifted at about three and a half weeks. And by the time it lifted, I had started to do my research and feel a little relieved like this is normal. But um, I think just because I didn't, I had kind of read up on postpartum depression and just had decided I probably wasn't as much at risk for it. And um, then I didn't even know about, you know, the quote unquote baby blues. So that definitely caught me by surprise. I remember being really worried about it the second pregnancy. And my doctor saying, you know, just because you're aware and in tune this time, and it's your second time, it probably won't be quite as shocking. And it wasn't, if anything, it felt more like you know, PMS, like I'm a little weepier, but I know what this is. Um, the other, the first time it was, it was like out of body. It was very strange, especially because I'd had no experience with, you know, clinical depression or anything before. So it was really weird. Oh yeah. I, I don't know that I had that, but I've heard a lot about that and I've always thought it would be very tricky as a new mom to figure out the difference. Like, is this normal or is this postpartum depression? And I guess, the answer is if you're not sure, talk to someone. Talk <laughs> to someone. You aren't probably in a position to figure it out on your own anyway. And why no. worry if you don't have to? Yeah. And oh yeah. man, when it lifted, it was over a course of a few days. But when it lifted, it was gone. It was yeah. very. It, it was so that was I don't know. Maybe my experience is not as typical in that it was so defined by about a three week period. Um, and then I, you know, I didn't really feel that ever again. But always worth mentioning. So going back to the physical aftermath of having a baby, (laughs) I want to talk about after pains. Um, This is something that does not get enough, I guess, lip service in any resources, really, Um, except the book I wrote, which I don't even think is in print anymore, but because I I spent a lot of time talking about after pains. Um, So an after pain is basically when your uterus is contracting to like help, you know, bleeding under control, flush out the stuff that's left over after having a baby, et cetera. And get back to size, right? It's contracting down to size. And that with my first baby was like not even noticeable. Right. Didn't even know it was happening. Second baby, painful. Yeah. Third baby and beyond, it was like being in labor again, only worse because it wasn't doing anything. I was just giving birth to like blood clots. And it was (laughs) extremely like nauseating. Um, the kind of pain where like, it's like nails on a chalkboard pain. I mean, even thinking about it right now, like my toes are curling up. And the worst thing is there's really not much you can do about it. And you also know it's coming. Like for me, it would always be when I was breastfeeding that, you know, that creates the oxytocin. And then, so then your uterus starts contracting and I could feel it starting. And I'd be like, oh man, here we go. And it was (laughs) like, you're holding a baby. So you can't contort yourself into any kind of good position. You know, I wasn't immersed in a bathtub. It was like, so I, um, really stuck with um, ibuprofen, like round the clock. Um, I know some, if you're more naturally minded, there are herbal mixtures. Um, Motherwort is one. And I think I had a tincture that had like motherwort and a few other things in it. I honestly couldn't tell if that helped at all, but I did it anyway, just because it was better than doing nothing. I felt like I was doing something. Um, And I just kind of, it was also worse with the bigger babies. And I'm sure that's because my uterus had more, more, ways to go like to get shrunken down so you know i used a heating pad um constantly and if you don't happen to have one laying around you can do the old rice in a towel trick you just tie up rice in a towel or a sock and like put it in the microwave for two minutes i had i sometimes would have those like all over my body postpartum would (laughs) you how long do you think it lasted i mean i know they kind of get a little less intense as time goes on but i can't remember are we talking days or yeah the first 24 to 48 hours for me is very intense and then like phase three and four noticeable and then you know usually after that 
pretty much okay. gone or I wouldn't notice them anymore. Um, but it would always be like, it would always be like the most unfair pain. I always remember being really yeah. mad about it. Like I already yeah. went through all the, yeah. all the work of having a baby <laughs> and now I'm having essentially labor pains still. Um, but while I'm trying to care for a baby and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm already sore, like really, this is just mean. So yeah, after pains were always a pain and pain in the butt um, pain, yeah. and something I would like dread and be thinking about too. That was the worst part about it. Well, and you knew what was coming. I knew what was coming. <laughs> a nurse told me, so this is one little benefit of C-sections is that you're on pretty heavy pain meds for the first about 48 hours. And then you're on moderately heavy pain meds for, you know, up to a week or so after. So, um, I've definitely felt them and I definitely felt them get worse with each kid, but I was already, you know, taking for, for the pain of surgery right. recovery and other things. And so I do think that dulls, that dulls them. Um, a nurse in the hospital told me that the reason that they get more intense with every baby is your uterus is smarter and more efficient. So then mm. technically they, the overall duration should be shorter, which I thought was interesting. It, do, it does make sense. The uterus is like, Oh, I remember. Hey, what it, so I it's actually, you. it's working more efficiently and kind of doing more work quickly, but doesn't seem like, I mean, well, you know, it's going to last for a couple of days. You know, what's interesting about that. Um, when I had Clara, she only got to be about 20 uh, hours old before she was admitted to the NICU because um, she had a seizure. So I was pumping for her pretty much pretty regularly for like, you know, not that first day, but like to the second, third and fourth yeah. day. And I don't remember having after pains at all. Some of that, I think, is I was just like stunned by the fact that mm -hmm. yeah. this postpartum situation is not going the way other ones yeah. did. I stopped bleeding. It was really weird. Like the minute she was um, admitted, my bleeding stopped. Oh my gosh. It was gosh, bizarre. I know. And then it came back a few days later, but like I, it was weird, but also the after pain stopped. And I always wondered if it was maybe because um, I was pumping and not nursing and maybe it wasn't like stimulating everything huh. as much. So maybe the after pains were just slowly happening over yeah. days yeah. and days. And, and also I was severe. probably, yeah. yeah. And I was probably preoccupied and not really thinking about, you know, I was probably yeah. just thinking about the baby, like the baby and not really what was going on with yeah. my body. But, um, it is, nature is very weird <laughs> and cool. But I, it, I remember thinking, I remember sitting on a chair, like this hard plastic chair, 20 hours postpartum for like six hours in the ER mm. thinking like, everything felt like it was shutting down. Like I didn't yeah. feel postpartum yeah. at all anymore. It was like it, every, like my body just went into some kind of animal state oh where like gosh. everything had to get like kind of put on hold yeah. before I could go back into it. And that yeah. for me was when she um, was not sedated anymore and was able to nurse yeah. again. And then everything was like, boink. Then I was back into postpartum. It was really, really weird and very cool and strange and yeah. um, unnatural feeling. But it just kind of reminded me of how we are animals. <laughs> yes. Animals absolutely. first, really. And especially so. being your fifth baby, like your body knew what to do. Right. Um, both for better or for worse. I mean, it was like, this isn't, this isn't normal. That's right. really interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, my, my, the last one on my official list is kind of a fun one, I think, because it is extreme appetite and oh, this, extreme I think, appetites are fun. I know extreme <laughs> appetites are awesome. Um, and this, I would say kicked in, you know, as soon as, as soon as like my major C-section, you know, a few days in my milk yeah. is in, um, my major pains are gone and I was so hungry all the time. I mean, I could eat and eat and eat and eat, uh, you know, I would say probably for the first four or five or six months of breastfeeding, um, when those, you know, first breastfeeding, when you're exclusively breastfeeding, I was hungry all the time. Um, and I just would eat, you know, and it wasn't, I wasn't super focused on weight loss. I mean, I think I lost weight kind of naturally and then it would plateau and then I'd lose a little more. Um, but I just felt like 
so I'm not saying I could eat whatever I want and still lose weight because maybe that wasn't the case, but I just felt hungry enough to eat all the time. And I also felt like I really enjoyed food. Um, my third pregnancy with Violet, I was nauseous around the clock for like 20 we over 20 weeks. And then even after that, I just never regained. I had a lot of food aversions, um, some mild nausea. So I was, I was sick almost the whole time with her. And so I had kind of forgotten how much, like how enjoyable it is to enjoy food. So yeah. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's Chewable Kids Vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. We are welcoming back Vionic as a sponsor today. And Sarah, I will be honest, I was sorting through my warmer weather wardrobe the other day and it could seriously use a refresh, but you know what's good to go? My shoes. I've got a great selection to choose from thanks to the Vionic Vitals collection. And lately the pair I keep putting on again and again is the Uptown Loafer. I have two pairs, one in sand suede and the other in camel leather, but please don't make me pick a favorite. Oh, I won't. I'll let you keep both. That's so funny, Megan, because I was a little jealous of your Uptown Loafers. I was the last one on our team to get a pair, but I just did. I also got mine in the sand suede, and I think I've worn them like four times this week. They really finish off a cute spring outfit. The Vionic Vitals collection has the best essential styles for everyday wear to get you ready for spring. And no matter what shoes you choose, you'll be on the go in comfort because every single pair of Vionic shoes delivers their trademark Viomotion technology for a difference you can feel. Bionic sandals, sneakers, and flats all offer incredible support, stability, and cushioning, and every pair comes with a 30-day risk-free trial, so it's easy to try them out. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Yeah, I always also had extreme appetite, and I thought it was fun. Yeah, really fun yeah. because you're not even really I mean, even if you're thinking about weight loss, you kind of know you have a different job right then. Yes. And it's like to keep your baby alive or to stay alive or whatever. <laughs> so you and can it, kind of just focus on that. Yes, exactly. And toward the end of pregnancy, you know, pregnancy hunger is a real thing, but it can come with some discomfort. There's not a lot of room for the food toward right. the end. You get you get full or you get indigestion really easily. So there was something really much more enjoyable about postpartum hunger and eating postpartum. Um, you know, there were certain things that you couldn't have during pregnancy that you can eat again. Right. Um, so but I, do, I will say, like, if we're offering a tip um, that I had to be pretty smart about having like 
snacks and healthy things and stuff around because especially with subsequent babies when you have a toddler or two around it's not fun to be starving and not have access to good food so it no, did make not, me yeah. stock my pantry differently you know I'd bake cookies and just make sure that I had some like you know stuff around because I was always hungry I love that I that's one of my favorites yeah. This next one, my my last one on my official list. Although you know, when our when our listeners started um, started putting stuff on Facebook, like literally, like every one someone would post, I'd be like, "Oh yeah, that. Oh yeah, that." Yeah. So, um, but the one that I had on my list was this. It's another weird thing that you don't usually read about, and that is the sense that like my my organs were just hanging in space. They didn't have any place to go. I remember this very distinct feeling like I was like I was like a puzzle that got shook up or like remember those um remember those things you'd have in your science class as a kid? It was like the human body and yep. you could take the organs out. It was like someone took the organs out and like rearranged them or left one out. <laughs> so and I think you know it's because your body changes. Think about when you're pregnant, yeah. like your uterus and baby take up so much space, everything moves out of the yep. way and finds a new home and then suddenly within a matter of hours this huge thing is gone and nothing knows where to go. Um, I remember walking kind of stooped over a lot Mm. because I just felt like if I stood all the way up, I I don't know. I don't remember if I thought consciously something would happen. It just felt like there wasn't a place for things to go. Right. (laughs) And I know for a lot of people, um, those belly bands are really Yeah, I was going to ask if you, if you knew anything, I just don't know much about them, but I see them every once in a while pop up and, I don't think I had a belly band, but I remember for sure that I had some kind of like a uh, elastic thing. It was like an ace bandagey kind of thing that I used. Uh-huh. And also I had a Moby wrap. Um, yes. It's just a baby sling. And I would just like sometimes tie that really tightly across my, my yeah. lower tummy. And that helped. But that would well, last sometimes for weeks for me. Yeah. And I can't say I had that sensation. But again, going back to the C-section thing, um, you feel very vulnerable where your scar is. And that's where the source of most of your pain is. Um, And the other thing during a C-section is they they physically move your abdominal like muscles out of the way. Now, pregnancy does that a little bit too, but I think it's even more in a C-section. So I just remember feeling very like, you know how your abdominal muscles, you know, tighten involuntarily if you go to move quickly or something surprises you, like you can't do that. So it feels very vulnerable. So I I can see the appeal of a wrap or something like that. And I'm not sure I had, I'm not sure I had the um, shaken up puzzle sensation inside, but definitely like the vulnerable middle section, like not wanting yeah. anybody to move too quickly when it, you yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of the reason I walked around so stooped over was like, I felt like I was like protecting, like yes. I was hunched over and protecting. And that did last for some time for me. I don't remember exactly how long, but a week or two at, la- at least. So it just, re- it just is a good reminder that our bodies are not meant to pop back up and be like running to the grocery store and yeah. doing a whole bunch of things within days. And, you know, the, the sometimes unfortunate thing is, is that that's seen as like awesome and cool and like somehow heroic to be yeah. doing everything. Um, and, you know, not to be a fear monger, but there are, there are, you know, things that can happen if you do too much too soon that that set you way back medically yeah. you know yes. whether it's scars you know um stitches rupturing or infections. whatever infection so um there you know there's a reason that in other cultures and in other times that you just stayed in bed with your baby for weeks you yeah. know yeah so well we're looking um so we did as we've mentioned we posted this on Facebook and got you know dozens of comments with um our listeners what surprised them most about postpartum. So we're kind of looking at this list is there anything Megan that jumps out at you that we haven't mentioned? Well, I think um, we need to talk about fear of pooping. 
Yeah. Okay. And I think this is, I, because of my C-sections, I think it's a little different. So yeah. please, for, please for, continue. Yeah. Well, for me, it's like, I mean, without getting too graphic, but I guess what I'll just say is that first bowel movement, it usually doesn't happen with, you know, for a couple of days, um, your body's mm-hmm. kind of stunned, at least for me, it was like, your body's kind of stunned. You're avoiding it. Um, and so it's, for me, it was always kind of, um, significant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, you've just pushed a baby out of that area. So you're like already spooked, you know, mm-hmm. like you're going to have to push something else out of that area and it's going to mm-hmm. come out of a slightly different area, but like what's going to happen. And I just remember being terrified all five times. And it, you know, honestly, it was never a big, huge deal. It just took a long, it just took some patience and some labor yeah. breathing and to make sure you eat a lot of fiber and drink enough water and all that. So that when it is that time, it's, yeah. um, it's movable. Listen, listen to me trying to be like, you know, not too graphic, but I, I think that's just such a, such a common thing. And it, it's like yeah. for you, it's for, especially for vaginal births, it's very universal. And you, even if your birth was relatively simple, mine all were straightforward and simple. And I wasn't right. that sore. It was just like, I just did that. Right. You know, I just right. pushed something right. out of there. I don't want to do that again. Right. Um, related to that, another one that came up was gas. I had terrible gas with two of the babies to the point where I almost wanted to go to the hospital because I thought something was wrong with me. Oh, and it wow. took me a few hours to figure out, like, what is, you know, I've had these intense um, abdominal pains and they felt like not where I thought gas would be. But then I noticed they moved. So that's kind of how I figured out it was gas. Okay. And I just kind of got up at all fours and you know, hit my head into a pillow and whined for a few hours. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, it was pretty intense. Yeah, no, I'm glad that both of those um, came up. What about I am just not I'm not read up on pelvic floor issues. But I know these are things that complications that can develop after that yeah. really can cause problems. So probably since we're not medical experts, what we can say is that there's a whole host of pelvic floor issues that can cause, you know, just issues afterwards. So whether yeah. that's, you know, pain during sex or urinary incontinence, it's stuff that the wall probably... between your vagina and your rectum can also thin out, which can okay. cause some problems with um, pooping and all of that as well. So anything like I feel like that's a that's a doctor or midwife visit right there. Yes. Your bladder, yes. if something feels like wrong with your bladder, um, if when you get back to sex, like, you know, you're not gonna be doing that right away. But if you when you do at six or eight or however many weeks you feel like waiting, if it's painful and I don't mean sore, but I mean like real pain, that's mm-hmm. something to bring up with your doctors. Well, it's happens. It, yep. you know, it's like, it's like within the realm of normal, but not normal, I guess. Right. You exactly. Know? Yes. It's, it's, it's a common concern and there are solutions. Um, I'm thinking about like the, logistics of talking to your doctor or midwife, because I think sometimes like when we're dealing with all these things, we have a new baby, like our own body's healing, certain symptoms are just annoying and others, you know, maybe more serious, but I, did you feel like you had a good enough relationship where you could call and ask a question to your midwife office or your um, birth yeah. center or whatever yes. you did? Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I do think sometimes in larger, <laughs> but that o- was, yeah, that was a very different situation than I think in a larger OB office where you're rotated through several doctors. I mean, who are you, yeah. who would you talk to? I mean, that's the thing. It becomes, it can become tricky. It can. And I just think people should know, um, especially if you had a relatively complication free pregnancy, then you're only, which is great. Then you've only been seen, you know, a dozen times probably. And so you may not even really have the relationship. And then some of these issues are maybe kind of embarrassing. So I guess I would encourage people to like, just assume that your relationship to that OB or midwife or practice can and should continue 
the year after you deliver. And whether that's finding out like, is there a nurse on call? Can I call and leave a, can I call and leave a voicemail with a question? Maybe it doesn't even require an appointment, but sometimes I get held up with just like, wait, I don't know. Do I need to make an appointment? Will someone call me back? You know? So, um, take the initiative to, to know what you need to do if you need to talk to someone. Otherwise we end up Googling things in the middle of the night and that may or may not be helpful. Well, and I will also say this. um, I mean, you know, lots of times during our birth experience, we find out that the person that we've hired to help us is not someone we want to continue a relationship with. Oh, that's a good point. Really honest. That happened with me with my last baby. It was a midwife and I was really disappointed in the care I got, um, especially after the awesome experience I had with the other ones. So when it came time to like asking about tricky stuff, I didn't want to go back to her. And I basically just killed that relationship like at the six week check. And then I went and found someone else. Um, Okay who actually is just a general practice doctor, but she specializes in women's health care. Right. And so the nice thing about that is I can see her for GYM, but I can see her for other stuff as well. Um, so for me, like if you're, if you feel like you weren't really respected during your birth process or whatever, it's probably not going to get better when you have to go in and talk about the fact that it hurts to have sex or right. you think your bladder might be prolapsing. I mean, if right. you don't feel like you were treated with care right. um, during or compassion during labor, that's probably not going to get better. So don't settle Right. You you're going to do whatever happens to your body. Now you're probably going to be dealing with that in some way forever. So, yeah. So find a forever, find a forever doctor. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be an OB necessarily even, you know? Yeah. Yes. I a hundred percent agree. I a hundred percent agree. And just, yeah, just go into it with the assumption that your body requires aftercare yeah. <laughs> for, you know, this period of six months to a year. Cause sometimes the things that they're supposed to ask you at your two, well, with a C-section, you usually get a two week and a six week checkup. The things that they that it's on their checklist to ask you about may not have even started happening yet to right. you. So yeah. um, kind yep. of going in with the expectation. Um, I think when I wrote when I wrote that post that, you know, had my four surprises, I said, like, you know, Baby Center used to send the weekly emails when I was pregnant. And it would be like, what's happening with your baby inside you and what's happening with your body? And after the birth, I just want to know what was happening with my baby. Like, I was so focused on the baby, like we talked about at the beginning, that I don't even think I was... I don't think I was even tuning in the first time. So it's yeah. almost after in, in retrospect that we were like, holy moly, that's a, yeah, that's yeah, a, lot, yeah. a lot going a lot on. Going on. So. And I, I also just want to, I may kind of, I guess I sort of implied this already, but like something like a pelvic floor issue, incontinence, um, uh, sciatica that won't go okay. away or hip or pelvic pain. Like that stuff sometimes doesn't ever go away. Like sometimes that stuff is with you for your life. And mm-hmm. so you might you be putting together like in your head, like a team of caregivers. Um, yeah. You might need to see a chiropractor. You might need to be thinking about massage. I mean, I know people whose youngest kid is like five, six, seven years old and they still have sciatica from pregnancy. Mm-hmm. That does not really, there's ways to, tr- you know, they can deal with it and they can, ac- there's exercises they can do and all that stuff. But sometimes even six to 12 months isn't yeah. the end. Right. And so like, I, I, yeah, again, like I think you need to be thinking about if something is still lingering, putting together your, your forever care, yeah, <laughs> your forever care team, plus whatever you're going to do for yourself to make yep. it better. Yep, absolutely. And I would just echo the same thing on the mental health issues. Cause yes. we know that postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety and other postpartum mood stuff can kick in 18 months after a baby is born. Right. Um, so um, just being educated and, and connecting the dots back to, Oh, this is like, I am still adjusting to this baby, even though it's been X number of months, you know, it's easy to kind of lose that connection, but it is there. 
Um, well, I wanted to mention a couple of other episodes where we've talked about pregnancy and birth. Um, and so episode 38 tells our birth stories and our pregnancy stories. That was pretty fun. Um, episode 74 was another pregnancy kind of getting ready for baby and nesting. And then in episode 42, we talked about parenting through hard times. And some of those hard times we mentioned were some, you know, baby blues, new baby adjustment and all of that. So if you're a newer listener, um, you can always head to the momhour.com. There's a search field and type in whatever you want us to talk about. And those episodes will come up. But I wanted to specifically mention those 38, 42 and 74, I think would um, be good pair nicely. They would pair nicely with this discussion. Yes, they would. So. Well, I want to say thanks to everyone who, who logged, who, who, uh, who featured or were, I don't know, open about their weird postpartum symptoms. I know we didn't even touch on stuff like, I mean, there's so many. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't even touch on like hemorrhoids and, yep. you know, all the weird stuff that happens with your hair besides it falling out. And like, I mean, there's just so many. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a, actually, I, we should probably link to that yeah. Facebook thread yep. in the well, show notes as well. Yeah, Facebook thread in the show notes for this one. So this is yep. episode 88. When you head to the momhour.com, look for episode 88. And yeah, one of the things we'll link to is the Facebook discussion where, yeah, many, many of you aired your... <laughs> Aired your, your grievances. Yes. <laughs> so, um, okay. Well, we will be back next week with episode 89. In the meantime, check out Megan's interview with Aaron Lochner coming up this Friday. And we'll talk to everybody soon. See you soon. The Mom Hour is supported by partners like Erica. Erica is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug when they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. Erica was built by a dad of three boys who saw that teens themselves were really becoming self-aware to the risks of social media, and he wanted to help them self-regulate. Erica works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. The Mom Hour is brought to you by The Essential Calendar. Sarah, this is our favorite calendar for busy moms because its beautiful and simple design shows around three months at a time. Yeah, and with summer fast approaching, now is a great time to get the Essential Calendar and see what I've been raving about all these years. Get 10% off your order at theessentialcalendar.com slash themomhour. That's 10% off at theessentialcalendar.com slash themomhour.